The following podcast is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and frank sexual content. This is the Heart of Jack's Podcast. Two days of heaven behind me And five days of waiting ahead Days to anticipate Days while my heart must wait Cause here it is, Monday again Welcome to Fourth Monday for May 2021. Fourth Monday is a monthly change of pace for the Heart of Jack's podcast. Although any episodes are a change of pace this month. But first, I want to welcome new listeners. According to Podcast Analytics, there are a ton of you and you're all over the world. So very cool. I'm honored for your presence, your ears and brains, all the parts. If this episode is your first experience with the Heart of Jack's podcast, here's a primer on who I am and what the show is. And just a little heads up, I'm going to get a little inside baseball here, talking about the podcast itself. But that's kind of what Fourth Monday is, where the regular shows center on interviews. Fourth Mondays are about the Heart of Jack's project itself, the book, the podcast, sharing and responding to your feedback and giving previews of upcoming shows. All that's going to happen. So, hello, I'm Paul Rosenberg. I'm a writer and production designer in Seattle, Washington, in the United States. I also run a jack-off club here. It's called Rain City Jacks, and it was founded in the summer of 2005. Jack-off clubs, sometimes called J-O clubs or the Jacks, are organizations, usually really loose organizations, that host recurring gatherings of men who masturbate together in a group setting, usually naked and, by definition and tradition, without any form of penetration. So no oral, no anal, none of that stuff's allowed. It's just guys jacking off with other guys on the regular. And I mean lots of guys, like 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 or more. All jack-off clubs are, as I said, organized to some degree, and the events that they host happen more than once or twice. So if, for example... You decided to hold a get-together to watch porn and get off with some friends, which is a thing that happens more often than you might imagine. That's not necessarily a club, even though that kind of informal gathering is exactly how these organizations started in the first place. More about that later. The very first modern jack-off club to exist, as far as anyone knows, was New York Jacks, which began in February of 1980. And they inspired countless spin-offs around the world. My club, Rain City Jacks, it's part of that lineage. The whole story of how the Jacks began and grew and changed over the years, as well as what makes them really unique in the wide, wide world of men having sex with men, that's the subject of a book that I've been working on since 2009. The working title of that book is The Heart of Jacks, The History and Culture of Jackoff Clubs. The title was my husband's idea. He's also a writer and a musician and just one of the cleverest humans I know, in addition to being the love of my life, though I should probably mention that he's not a member of any jack-off club, including mine, but this is not his story and I digress. That happens. This podcast is not just about jack-off clubs. It's about sex more broadly, 
Yes, it is very often about sex between men, and sometimes specifically about the Jackoff Club phenomenon, but it's much more about human sexuality in general, and by design, it strays well beyond the realm of the Jacks. As unique as the Jackoff Club experience is, and underestimated as solo masturbation is, those are still just two thin slices of the gigantic pizza that is human sexuality. And if I've got any agenda, it is helping people to view sex that way, as a big tent phenomenon, a really varied and fascinating aspect of being human that always turns out to be bigger than we imagine. So sex is a big tent where you can get pizza. Works for me. So that's what drives the show. An expansive vision of sex in a world full of people who keep trying to define it narrowly. Here's another analogy. I imagine this show as peering through a telescope at one planet or one star or system that's just one part of an infinite sky beyond the lens. Plainly put, I like to look at singular stories to write a bigger story of our own collective, very human sexuality. Now, I should acknowledge that a lot of listeners, maybe you, came to this podcast from the world of, quote-unquote, masturbators. For the rest of you, I will clarify that the term masturbators is not a euphemism for all men, necessarily, but a description of one particular subculture of mostly cisgender men who connect, mostly online, to share, amplify, and celebrate an identity built upon a profound passion for penis masturbation. It's not just, we love masturbation, but we are masturbators. It's identity. Some also use the term baiter or baiters. This is one of those celestial systems that I will train my telescope on from time to time because I'm familiar with it personally. I think it is generally unknown, and I think there's value in exploring generally unknown terrain. I readily admit that I love masturbation, but... I'm wary of limiting the show, or my life, to masturbation, either solo or in groups, or to gay sex, or to any other expressions of my own experience as one person. I'm really interested in the vast, primordial human drive that we all feel to connect physically, emotionally, and, if you insist, spiritually, for pleasure, belonging, insight, growth, community, and all the ways that we resourceful, brainy apes have harnessed sex for a million and one purposes beyond procreation. For real, Homo sapiens has more sex relative to births than any other ape, or mammal, by a factor of like hundreds of times. Here's author Christopher Ryan talking about just that in this interview from the excellent podcast Simplify. Almost all mammals only have sex when the female is ovulating meaning when the female is likely to get pregnant. So, you know, pandas, for example, which we're always hearing about in the news and, you know, their tortured sex lives. I think a female panda only ovulates like a few days a year, with three or four days out of a year. Oh, man. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure on those days. Yeah, exactly. If you, you know, if you have a cold, you're in big trouble. <laughs> or a headache, my God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so most, and when I say most, I'm saying all mammals except a very few exceptions, three or four or five exceptions, have sex only for reproductive purposes. And that makes sense because if you think about it, when you're having sex, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to predators. There's increased risk of disease transmission. You're spending energy that could be spent 
searching for food or taking care of young or, you know, other sort of more practical applications. So why would a species be having sex when it's not going to result in pregnancy? Um, what you find, for example, is in gorillas, let's say, a very closely related primate to humans, uh, gorillas have sex somewhere between 10 and 15 times per birth. Hmm. And that's typical of mammals, uh, whereas humans have sex upwards of a thousand times per birth, typically. Wow. Yeah. And so obviously you're doing something a thousand times per success. That's not the function of that activity, right? So why do humans have sex if not primarily for reproduction? The argument we make in Sex at Dawn is that sex has been co-opted in our species for social purposes. Mm -hmm. It bonds the social group together. So we take care of one another's children. We share food. We share access to all resources. So having an open, interactive sexual network fits into that because we're sharing everything else. The And this, by the way, this isn't uh, controversial, this idea that hunter-gatherers share access to resources and we're politically egalitarian and so on. This is all standard anthropological understanding of hunter-gatherers. The only thing that we did in Sex at Dawn that was controversial is we said, okay, then why would sexuality be the one exception to this? If hunter-gatherers are taking care of each other's children, sharing their food, sharing access to the spirit world and resources and shelter and everything else they had, why would their sexual partners be the one thing that is being hoarded and considered private property? And it just makes no sense when you look at the actual configuration of hunter-gatherer societies. You can listen to all of that conversation and subscribe to the Simplify podcast at Blinkist.com or just look for a link in the show notes. I have focused and will continue to focus on jack-off clubs and solo sex in this podcast, but lots of other stuff too, because humans are having so much sex for so many reasons. And when we dig into these individual stories and details of the particular expressions of human sexuality, or really any expressions of human sexuality, we encounter common human needs. Again, to connect, to feel part of, to experience pleasure, to be and experience ourselves. If you came to the show just wanting to hear about one particular thing, it might be a while before the show winds back around to that one particular thing, so that's fair warning for you new folks. And again, welcome to the podcast. I'm genuinely happy that you found it and got in this far already. Now, the standard format for this show is an interview with interesting people who are actively engaged in the sexual, including the fields of sexual health, like sex therapists, educators, and researchers, but also erotic artists and art curators, writers, activists, community organizers, sex workers, entrepreneurs, kinksters, and a recurring series of direct conversations with men who personally attend jack-off clubs. To help you more accurately picture just what these clubs are beyond your own fertile imagination, 
beneath the marketing stories that the clubs tell us or the meager but slanted and sensationalized coverage the media have given the Jacks over the years. When the show is about Jackoff clubs, I'm trying to paint an authentic picture for people who have never experienced one before and, while I'm at it, touch on the universality of sex that any adult can find value in. So here's a little something about the show that I'm changing up, something that you may or may not have noticed. You probably have not noticed it. I made a decision early in the creation of the show to exclude certain kinds of content. Specifically, I did not want to talk about politics at all, and I wanted to avoid anything that was specifically topical because I wanted the episodes to be evergreen, to be relevant regardless of when you might listen to them. Now, there are a lot of reasons for this, and I do intend to keep politics out, mostly. But I've decided not to keep culling anything topical. For example, I started the podcast in 2020, and I chose not to refer to COVID-19 at all. That meant no mention of masking or social distancing and the whole morass of related issues that we've all been obsessed with over the past year plus. That was partly because I needed a fucking break from the suffocating presence of the pandemic, and I knew that many of you did too. I still don't really want to dwell on COVID, but I'm no longer going to pretend that it doesn't exist. It just, it touches on too many parts of life now to ignore it. I will continue to stay as far from politics as possible, but sometimes it's just necessary. If I talk to a sex worker, for instance, or a sex worker's right advocate, I'm going to collide with current events and legislation like FOSTA and SESTA, laws that were passed in the United States that have made life much more dangerous for sex workers. I am an advocate for sex workers and for sex work, and that involves people who are easy targets for politicians across the ideological landscape. So yeah, sometimes we might talk about that shit. But back to the pandemic. One approach I took was to refer to the Jacks in the present tense, as if jack-off clubs were still hosting events, which, let's be clear, they are not. We are not. Jacks everywhere shut down operations in March of 2020 and remain shuttered to this day as we all figure out what to do next. In the history of the Jacks phenomenon, the pandemic was a seismic event, just like it was for pretty much everybody in every sector. As all of us move through this catastrophic period, the Jacks are going to look different. As a historian writing about something that continues to evolve, I can't ignore it, and it will become increasingly relevant to this show, and more so to my book, as history somehow continues to progress. Okay, ready for some feedback? I'm ready for some feedback. Tell me now, Back in March, just after the very first Fourth Monday episode dropped, I heard from James, who posted these two questions on my Patreon page. One, let's say I want to start a jack-off club. How would I go about doing it? For the sake of argument, assume I live in a metropolitan area of at least a half a million people. Question two, a few years ago, I started to write erotic and sexual fiction. I've wondered a lot of things about whether erotic and sexual fiction play significant roles in male sexuality. Perhaps there's a whole show there. Perhaps not. 
but a specific question. Does erotic fiction play a role in jack-off clubs in some way, like through online forums for members or things like that? Okay, James, I will answer the second question first. My first awareness that jack-off clubs existed came to me by way of erotic fiction in the publication Honcho around 1985. Like a lot of men at the time, my primary porn consumption was photos and videos. It's probably a lot like that now. You know, graphic rather than written porn. When I was in my 20s, I masturbated to still and moving pictures. A lot of that was about social imprinting, about what the culture I was ostensibly a part of considered hot or not. So I I wasn't just getting off, but I was figuring out what turned me on and how I might turn others on, how I would signal my availability and willingness. You know, like a lot of men, modeling my ideas about sex on porn. Again, I digress, but I'm aware that this packaged porn was more than just fuel for masturbation. It was cultural modeling, every bit as much as Cosmopolitan or GQ or Cat Fancy. Magazines were windows on culture, just as TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter are now. At some point each month, I would get bored with the images in any particular issue of Mandate or Honcho, and I would read the fiction, which was often pretty bad, so it was easy to ignore. On one particular occasion, I read a fictionalized account of a guy whose friend takes him to a jack-off club, and it went into quite some detail, of course, on a room full of men, the energy and the interactions. I won't get specific because that would be deliciously prurient, but suffice it to say that it was a new idea to me, and the scene that it painted became lodged in my imagination. It resonated for me like a memory from another life, something that I'd not known existed, but had always wanted. So erotic fiction was, literally, the impetus for my seeking out and ultimately starting a jack-off club. So, yay written erotica! As for the place of erotic fiction in actual jack-off clubs, there's really very little. Although, different club leaders attempt to arouse interest through words on websites, tweets, email subscriber lists, that kind of stuff. Fiction is tangential to jack-off clubs, just as it is to any real-time sex. One of the unique characteristics of Jacks is that it's the opposite of virtual. It occurs entirely in person, with no cameras, no phones, no sexting. It's actual naked people interacting with actual naked people, and all of their real-world differences, all the sensations, smells, behaviors, cultural differences, and human vulnerabilities. There is no veil of narrative except for the stories in our heads about ourselves and others that both enhance and hinder real-world sexual experiences. Visual erotica, like video porn, is often there, but for most of the guys in the room, it fades behind the experience of IRL sex and the frank, casual intimacy of the group experience. I would say that the role of erotic fiction in J.O. clubs is maybe an untapped market, I could see it flourishing in its own forum, maybe part of an online community like Bait World. I think there's a Jack's Club in the Midwest that has a private forum for their members, but I don't want to name them just in case I'm completely wrong about that. Speaking as somebody who helps administer a website for a Jack-Off Club, I can tell you that very few of us have the resources, time, or willingness to host and moderate online communities at all. Remember, nobody gets rich running a Jack-Off Club. Yet.
As for your first question about how you would go about starting a jackoff club, I will resist the impulse to tell you that it's too much for anyone. And instead, I'm going to actually give you a sort of map for it. So think of it this way. A jackoff club is, if you strip away the sexy bits, a hospitality venture, which is a subset of the service industry. So it's not that outlandish. Let's think about hospitality at the micro level. Think of what it takes to have friends or family over for dinner or games or a movie. You want the house clean. You want to be showered and dressed. You want to have food ready on time or games available in the space tailored to gaming. Or you you want ample seating for everyone around the TV. You are hosting guests for a social experience. That is hospitality. Everybody who does this has their own customary spin on it. Their homes have their own feeling and atmosphere and aromas. Hosting guests for an event is a model for the hospitality industry, and it sets up systems and staff to accommodate a certain number of people to enjoy a certain experience, like family-style Italian food, or a wedding reception, or a corporate luncheon, or a bowling party, or a comic book convention. The hospitality industry is a huge and essentially global field. A jack-off club is a kind of hospitality business. It involves having a space that's conducive to your event, having an environment and amenities appropriate to group activities, and a support structure that takes care of all the little details so well that it can be put together and deployed again and again and again, just like a restaurant. What I tell guys who want to start jack-off clubs, and I'm asked this all the time, I always say, start small and personal. Start by hosting a handful of like-minded friends who you trust in your home for a jack-off party. It's not a club yet. It's just a party. The environment will be private and safe for everyone, warm enough to get naked in, and you'll probably want lube, porn, washcloths, maybe access to a shower. Certainly you're going to want to throw some sheets or blankets over your furniture to guard against the inevitable lube stains and bodily fluids, let's be honest. The key is, you keep it small, make it private, and you see what it takes to host a few guests for some low-pressure porn and masturbation. If everybody likes it, maybe they want to do it again. Maybe somebody else wants to host it. Maybe you realize that different lube is needed or different porn. Or maybe have some weed or some beer or some social time before or after. Maybe you don't have that one guy next time. And maybe you think of other friends that you want to invite and it happens again. If it happens regularly, you have started a thing, established a pattern, actually formed a private club. The Jacks are just this model scaled up to accommodate a larger number of guests, or members, and with established rules almost always borrowed from other clubs who made it work before you did, and different people to pitch in and help keep things working. It's all hospitality, but it's built around a communal experience of casual sex rather than a Kiwanis Pancake Day. Start small, see what you want to do with it. If you really want to do something with it, build from there. And keep listening to this podcast, because I have future episodes with guys who formed Thriving Jackoff Clubs themselves talking about exactly this stuff.
Regular listener, patron, and all-around superhero to me, Keely, emailed me a bunch of questions. Here's just one. Is there an anti-woman sentiment around some subset of gay men? I keep thinking about trying to worm my way into a jack-off club, either by greeting people at the door or doing orientation or something, anything. And the thought that popped into my head was, they probably don't want gross women there. Not sure where gross came from originally, but it's been with me a long time that some gay men think women are gross. I know from talking to them that most, if not all gay men, have had sexual experiences with women at some point in their lives, but I've got this thing that I have to almost apologize or shrink back from gay men as a cis woman. I don't feel that with close friends who are gay. In large groups of gay men, like in a bar or something, I do feel it. It's never been expressed to me directly, so it's odd that it's there. I spent a lot of time at a gay club in the late 1980s with my boyfriend at the time who had sexual relationships with men in the past. Thoughts on any of that? So here's how I responded. There is misogyny among men, regardless of orientation. I can't say why or how it is, but it's there. Some subset of gay men have an anti-woman sentiment, as do some bisexual men and heterosexual men. I don't think this is a big secret. About the gay bar thing specifically, men of all orientations value all male spaces or male-defined spaces. Women also value women-only spaces. This is mostly not about sex, but about different kinds of safety and identity, also culture and tradition. As American society, in particular, becomes safer for gay men, our safe havens become less rarefied, less just us queers. It's also worth noting that there were bars back in the middle of the last century that had strict dress codes, and if you were wearing white shoes or a polo shirt or the wrong kind of jeans, you wouldn't be allowed in the door. Even these places that were supposedly public were extremely curated environments, and some of those exclusions could easily be related to misogyny as well, enforcing a very narrow standard of masculinity and rejecting men who seemed too effeminate or preppy or vanilla. As for jack-off clubs specifically, about two-thirds of the attendees identify as gay. So particularly when going to a group sex venue, they don't want women present. The bisexual and straight guys are going to mind less or maybe not at all. But that 66% majority, they expect a men-only experience. Gay men will naturally feel indifferent sexually toward women, but some will have negative reactions. And there's the misogyny. For them, a male-only experience is a safe place. Jackoff clubs are, like those New York leather bars of the 70s, curated culture experiences. Even if the broadest possible measure of masculinity is accommodated, it is still a male-defined space that is, for the men who find a sense of belonging and affirmation there, a safe space. It's not anti-women so much as it's just not about women. The rest of Keeley's questions are great too, but I'm going to just save those for future installments. Maybe I'll have a regular Keeley Asks segment going forward. I'll be honest, I haven't worked on the book since my surgery on April 12th, so that's a five-week hiatus. 
As you may have noticed, I also haven't posted any podcasts in that time either. I don't like it, but that's the truth. I have a production schedule in place for the coming months of the podcast that I'm extremely excited about, and it does leave me time for writing. But I've got very little to report right now, except that one of the shows that I'm working on for July revealed a whole lot of detail that I had not heard before about what actually happened in 1979 through 1982 that clarified many of the critical details of New York Jacks at its inception and the early developments. So that's there. But I can't talk about those specific details yet. I'm sorry. I'm still very confident about having a first draft in January and everything that that means about what 2022 will look like as I edit and start working with a book agent and editors and publishers. Okay, coming up. I have a lot simmering on the stove here in the studio. Yes, I have a stove in my studio. I will not be taking Memorial Day off and will be dropping my interview with Seattle kink luminary Daniel McLaughlin for a discussion of his current passion, erotic hypnosis, including some discussion of a session that he let me watch. At the risk of prurience, it was fucking hot. In June, I have a series of shows that mostly connect to Pride Month because it's June, gay days in the USA. I'll be bringing back sexologist Jalen Riggs to talk about the quintessential experience of coming out of the closet and its greater significance in and beyond sexual minorities. I'll also be talking to pioneering gay advocate, teacher, and author Brian McNaught about the hero's journey of becoming authentic as a lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or otherwise sexually unconventional, complete human being, and his latest work on building meaningful support for gay elders. In July, I'll be welcoming back Dr. Eric Sprankle, co-director of the Sexuality Studies Program at Minnesota State University, Mankato. He's the guy who enlightened us on the subject of sexual shame. To address the deceptively simple question, what is sex? How and why we call one activity sex and another not sex, as well as how we think about sexual health. I'm also super excited about two big shows that are coming together right now. First, a discussion of the concept of sex positive, with your impressions of that idea, results of my survey on sex positivity, and interviews, plural, with Skitty, board member of Seattle's own Center for Sex Positive Culture, and with writer and math nerd Jacob Falkovich, author of the Twitter thread-turned-viral article, The Sex Negative Society. It's big enough to be two episodes, so that one just might be my first two-parter. And as if all that weren't enough... I've gathered the leaders of no less than six jack-off clubs, including the venerable Philadelphia Jacks, San Francisco Jacks, Melbourne Wankers, and the very first jack-off club, New York Jacks, along with my own club, Rain City Jacks, and up-and-coming jack-off club, yes, I said up-and-coming, from Portland, Oregon, Stumptown Strokes, to talk about the rules of jack-off clubs. This special show, Rules is Rules, looks at virtually every aspect of how these clubs value and develop the codes of conduct underpinning their communities. And a group of my own volunteers will take you through our unique new member orientation process. Again, possibly too much for one episode. Jesus. Days to anticipate Days while my heart must wait Cause here it is Monday 
Before I go, I owe a few of you some recognition. Back at the end of March, Philip joined the project as an annual patron and has also been engaging me on Facebook. It's great to be getting to know you, Philip. In April, three patrons joined the project, including Mike, Andrew, and Harvey. Welcome, all three of you. And just this week, Robert threw his support behind the Heart of Jack's project. Robert, it is great to have you here. Thanks so much for supporting the show. I also have a little news. My club, Rain City Jacks, has worked out a plan to reopen and restart operations. We're going to begin hosting events and enrolling new members again this September 2021. We have, in fact, scheduled over 50 events through the end of 2022. We will be requiring proof of vaccination from every person entering the building. So, if you're one of those guys waiting to come back or visit the Jacks for the first time, you will need to be fully vaccinated and get all your shots done before the end of August. If you haven't done it yet, my friends, please get pricked. As always, I welcome your comments. You can reach me several ways. Shoot me an email at podcast at theheartofjacks.com or call 206-580-3120. Patrons can message me through the Patreon page, and I also respond to Twitter DMs. You'll find me there at The Heart of Jacks. You know what's even better? You could record a voice memo on your smartphone and email that to me. It would be very cool to include your actual voice in a future Fourth Monday show. My address, one more time, is podcast at theheartofjacks.com. The Heart of Jacks podcast, written and produced by me, and supported by listeners like you, patrons through Patreon. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com slash theheartofjacks. Theme music for Fourth Monday is Monday Again, sung by Frankie Lane with Carl Fisher's orchestra, recorded in 1948. Podcast distribution by Simplecast at simplecast.com. Until next time, that is the Heart of Jacks podcast. I'm Paul Rosenberg.